you don't have to move mountains right now. My dear friend and I have this saying where she calls it the bare mins. Like, what is the bare mins I can do today just to like get through? And I know there's a lot of jokes on the internet about it. It's very true. Like, what is the bare minimum that you can do? It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hey there, Passion Maker. This is Miriam Shulman. You're listening to episode number 160 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so grateful that you're here. Today, we're talking all about women empowerment. In this episode, you'll discover how to take up space, shine bright, and ask for everything you want. You'll also discover how to stop isolating and step back into the world. And the secret for flipping the script from not ready yet to something much more empowering, whether you need to start selling your art, writing your first novel, begin dating, or even going back to the gym post-COVID. Today's guest is an author, global speaker, and professional certified life coach who helps high-achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. She's taught hundreds of thousands of women tools and strategies to be able to empower themselves to live their most kick-ass life through speaking, her books, coaching, and her wildly popular podcast, Make Some Noise. Her third book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind, and Own Your Strength is coming in August 2021, which that means it's out now. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Andrea Owen. All right, Andrea, welcome to the show. Miriam, I'm delighted to be here. I I feel like it's been a long time coming that we are finally able to have this conversation. This is great. Um, Congratulations on writing your third book. Can we just begin by saying that writing books is hard work? Writing books is hard work. Yeah, I'm what Elizabeth Gilbert calls a creative martyr. I'm dramatic about it. (laughs) You know, fainting on the chaise lounge. It's hard. This is all for me. This is not for my listeners. Do you have any structures in place to help you? I'm just getting my ass kicked right now. Mm -hmm. It's hard. As someone with anxiety and ADHD and sensory processing issues, I have to have systems in place or I will not. I have very poor follow through, especially if I am not totally excited about it, which when we have a deadline and we're not doing it just as a hobby, sometimes it can feel like a J-O-B. So I have to. The short answer is yes. I can tell you more about them if if you want to know. No, no, I want to know. I'm sure other people want to know too, because whether it's painting, marketing, Mm -hmm. writing, Having rituals and systems is so important. Some people subscribe to the advice of do your art every single day, which I think that's great if that works for you. It does not work for me. And I don't know if it's my personality. I just have experimented with it and I end up feeling worse about myself than ever. So I do it several times a week. And I also, you know, I have two children and I'm the primary breadwinner. I'm the sole breadwinner, actually. It just doesn't work for me. So I am obsessed with my Google calendar. I also use Google tasks. I like having everything in one place. I'm very simple. I shop at the gap. Like this is <laughs> I just I like I'm a basic bitch as we're called. No, but I just I love simplicity. So I color code everything and I know exactly one of the things that has helped me creatively 
is I never sit down in the morning and not know what I'm supposed to do that day. I am very proactive with my to-do list and my schedule. Like I always know when I sit down what I need to do that day. And of course I have to be flexible, but I just I've had to create a system to make it work. Yeah. I mean, I'm finding right now that the only thing I can do is like the first two hours of every day is for the book. Yep. Because the rest of the day, I'm going to be interrupted and yeah, get pissed I off save, at things. <laughs> so, right. Or people. I right, save well, everything. that's what I mean. <laughs> that's what it's usually not I save everything that doesn't require a lot of brain power, even if it's more fun to the end of the day. And anything that requires creativity, that requires like my full focus has to be done in the morning or else I'll just be a mess. Do you exercise before you do your writing? I do. Because I have found that many times if I wait until the end of the day, that's when I'm more likely to not do it at all. But there are some days where that morning time is so precious, especially if I have a deadline, where I will wait until the end of the day and I just work out less and I forgive myself for it. It's fine. Yeah, that's similar to what I'm doing right now too. It's like seven to nine. I have in my Google calendar, in my paper calendar. Yeah. I love that you have more than one. Right. Well, multiple systems. Cause, yeah. Because, I mean, when my kids were the age that yours are, I forgot to pick one of them up one day. I've done that. And it's not like I wasn't thinking about them. I was actually packing said kid's camp trunk in the basement. Like I was doing things for him the entire time. But the thing that mattered, which was picking him up from school, yeah. whoops. Oh, it's I've after three? <laughs> three forty. Yeah. The one thing I don't forget to do is eat though. I don't know how people do that. I always remember to eat. My body will tell me. Same. I've never missed a meal in my life. I don't understand intermittent fasting at all. <laughs> I don't I'm not a fan, but you know, you do you people. <laughs> all right. I want to dive into your book because it is really good. I was going to give myself permission. So I'll just confess. I pretty much always read the books before the guest comes. If I really don't like the book, the guest will get an email saying, we're so sorry, but it doesn't fit into our content calendar. And That's good I'm, that you're honest. Uh, well, th- yeah. It's like sometimes I've, I've invited people by mistake. It's like, oh, wait, I thought this book was about mm-hmm. this and it's really not. Mm-hmm. If I schedule them before I've read the book. Anyway, with you, I'm so busy that I says, you know, I don't have to read the whole book. I'm just going to read the first two chapters. Andrea, it was so good. I read the whole thing and it really picked up steam around. There were so many like 80s moments for me. So (laughs) let's share. Let's start there because it it, it is a heavy book and we will dive into the meat of it. It is. But I had such a little 80s moment when you talked about Sweet Valley High book. I was wondering if that was it. Fellow Gen Xer, I see you. Yeah, that I, that actually was what prompted me to want to be an author. She was the first, and I had read Judy Bloom and other female authors, but Francine Pascal was the first woman that I actually focused on and thought she's a woman human being who writes books for a living. That's awesome. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm older than you, so and I was reading them probably the same time you were. I was probably a little bit too old to be reading them, but I read them anyway. I was like, I was too so young. Fun. Oh, that's what happened. <laughs> Yeah, you probably were right on time. I was too young to be in fifth grade reading about teenage romance. Mm. When I was in fifth grade, that's when I discovered Judy Bloom, and it was like uh-huh. my mother's book group. We're all reading forever because they had to know, like all they were uh-huh. doing it so they can check up on us. But we know the real reason they were reading right. it. <laughs> okay, diving in. All right. So first of all, one of the first things you talk about in the book is something so powerful, and I see this all the time with my artists, and that is the fear of taking up space. Right. 
So let's start there. Why don't you talk about it? And then I'll share with you where how it shows up with the artists that I work with. Yeah, I'm super interested. So I work with a lot of coaches, which the similarity I think is that these people have to put themselves out there. You know, you have to be, it's called visibility in our industry. The whole concept of taking up space, we have probably all seen it on memes in Instagram posts and on Pinterest, but I wanted people to understand what exactly does that mean and why do we not? So you can take up space with your body, you can take up space with your voice, and you can take up space with your power and confidence. And the reason that we don't do this, which is what I talk about a lot nowadays, is because we've been conditioned and socialized not to do so, that we are more valued and accepted and loved if we are a quote unquote good girl or good woman or good mother, polite, accommodating, you know, putting everyone else's comfort before our own, selfless. And I'm not saying that those are bad things. They're great things. But sometimes it comes at the cost of our own success, of our own marketing, (laughs) asking for the sale, of doing art in the first place. I wanted to talk about what it actually looks like and boundaries. It is sometimes taking up space with your body in terms of body acceptance. It is also about power and confidence and, and understanding and digging deep into your conditioning as to why we don't do this. I mean, these are these are many times unconscious belief that run deep that are embedded into our spirit and our soul if you will. That's largely what like the first couple of chapters are about that I wanted to help people see it so they can start to unlearn the patterns that they've developed over decades. Yeah, I mean when I see it where it becomes obvious, I even have artists who are afraid to paint bigger. Like, do you see what's mm-hmm. happening here? You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to, they want to paint this little thing and they think of it as a little business and then they put a little price tag on it. Right. There's not as much risk. Right. And one thing I found super interesting, you shared this experience in the book and, and I felt the same way was that in some ways, our fear to take up space actually grows as we get older because I also, you share like how when you first started out, you stood up and asked that question mm-hmm. in front of a full conference room of people. And I remember having the same experience when I first started out with like I was braver then before yeah. I got beaten down over the years. Yeah. I don't think I tell this story in the book, but I worked at like, it was like my very first big girl job, if you will. I remember it was my very first conference room meeting and I was so excited. And it was this long conference table and I was seated towards the end, not at the head of the table, but towards the end. And I spoke up and it was sort of like a brainstorming meeting. And I spoke up and threw out an idea. And I remember all the heads swiveled to turn around and look at me. And they weren't looking at me like that was a stupid idea. They were looking at me more of like surprise, like, oh, the 22-year-old new girl spoke up. Some of the looks on their faces were like, oh, that's so great. Like almost like that's cute. But I remember thinking, oh, this doesn't happen very often. Like this was a surprise to them, which both gave me kind of like an at a girl, like pat on the back, but also terrified of like, oh, this isn't something I'm supposed to do. So it's like these types of experience get embedded in us. And many times we don't know how they're impacting us until much later when it comes to putting a bigger art out there or putting a bigger price tag on it. And then we realize, and I think for many people, it can be helpful to connect those dots as to where it came from. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot with most of the artists I work with are women. So it's hard to make a generalization since most of most of the people I do work with are women. But I also have noticed that women of color have this problem Mm -hmm. even more. So that conditioning, it's not just with their own personal experiences, but the way they've been parented, 
the way that basically entire race has been socialized and probably intergenerational trauma as well of what happens when you do speak up, when you do make some noise, when you do take up room, that's going to shut them down. So it's actually in the past had caused a danger to them. So totally. And for women as well. I mean, we were burnt at the stake. (laughs) Exactly. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I just want to underscore that. And I give a few anecdotes of in the book, you know, for instance, there's a woman who talks about she's a black woman and she's also younger. She's a younger millennial and says, I have to be careful how I show up because I don't, if I am assertive and speak my mind, I'm worried that I'm going to be perceived as the angry black woman and being the youngest in the room that people don't think I'm as qualified as I actually am. And sometimes she's the most qualified person in the room. And then the intergenerational trauma you mentioned, you know, my mom tells this story and she kind of laughs as she tells it. In the mid or late 1960s, she was a single mother, no spousal support. She had my older brother and sister. And she was chased around her boss's office. She was his secretary. And she said, I couldn't go to HR and complain. Like my job depended on it. And he would say it was all in good fun, but she was scared. You know, and these types of things get passed down to us, not just as stories, but I do believe, you know, epigenetics is a real thing. And so we understand from a young age that to speak up and be visible is a huge risk. And we are rewarded if we don't, if we are more quiet, if we are more accommodating, if we let the man lead and we are punished if we do make noise. So I just want to just validate that that is a very real thing, you know, especially for for me as a as a white privileged woman, I am at less risk when I make noise and take up space. All the more reason I feel it's my responsibility to have this conversation and point out things like that. So thank you for bringing that up. Oh, absolutely. No, it's very it's very important and one thing that was very good about your book is is you did have the sensitivity as you were writing to be by the way, this is a brand new vocabulary word for me, an intersectional feminist. Yes, I'm trying <laughs> so, my best. I don't get it right every single time, but yes. Last year, I took a seminar about your values and I didn't know what it meant. And I didn't know that that was like kind of people were going to look at me weird. If, and I said, I don't understand. You keep using the word intersectional feminist. What does that mean? And then somebody said to me, oh, I'm so glad you had the courage to ask that. And then I knew... <laughs> that I was supposed to know it. And I was the only one there who didn't know what that meant. You probably weren't. You probably weren't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which, by the way, for those of you who don't know, I, I don't want to shame you. So it's about that feminism is not just for white women. It is for mm-hmm. all women. By the way, I wanted to make sure you knew that as we're recording this, the self-study track of the Artist Incubator Program is closed and there is just one spot open in the mastermind could be yours. If you're lacking a solid strategy and winning mindset and you're disappointed with your current art sales, let's fix that. If you've been listening to this podcast and you found these tips helpful, maybe it's time to take the next logical step and work with me on a deeper level. The Artist Incubator Program is for professional and emerging artists who want to take their art business to the next level by mastering the art of sales and marketing. To see if you qualify, go to shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z to apply now. That's biz as in B-I-Z. Now back to the show. 
One thing I thought that was really important that you brought up in your book was about how women should be supporting each other and not tearing each other down. I think that's something that we've all learned at a very young age because almost every fairy tale has some aspect of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Snow White's evil queen mother wants to have her killed because how dare her be younger and prettier. And there's the the Cinderella story with the stepsister. So mm-hmm. these are all stories that we grew up with and, and took it as normal that you tear down other women and it's not helping us as, as a gender. Right. This is one of those moments. Sometimes I get the question, you know, what was the hardest part of the book to write? And it wasn't so much the gut-wrenching stories that I tell of my own difficult experiences. It was that section around internalized misogyny, internalized patriarchy, and internalized sexism. I'm mildly obsessed with why humans behave the way they do. If I could go back to grad school, it would be in social psychology or anthropology or something. I just, I just love finding out like why do humans act certain ways? And that was the question that I asked. Why do we tear other women down? Why are we seeing more women commenting on other women's social media ads, calling out their clothing choices or the shape of their body? And why? Why are we gossip and and sometimes backstabbing and things like that? There's a reason. (laughs) And I get so fired up when people say women are inherently that way. No, we're not. There's a small amount of research that shows that we are from a biological standpoint for mating reasons. But for the most part, we learn this. We learn this because we live in a patriarchal culture. And how this manifests is slut-shaming. It manifests as chronic dieting. It is the way that sometimes women tend to be highly competitive in the workplace and in a family structure, especially when a woman shows any kind of leadership qualities. And it is many times in an effort to get closer to a man at the top, whether that's a patriarchal figure in a family or a boss or manager. It shows up in so many ways that we don't even probably realize. I was having a conversation with some girlfriends that I play tennis with and and just someone casually said, well, you know how catty women can be sometimes. And I said, you know what? I am working on this myself. And that's actually a stereotype that we learn. We learn and then we say that and then we believe it. And I can't remember what else I said. I was very gentle. I didn't want to like come off as contemptuous and like a know it all, yeah. <laughs> which is what I kind of wanted to do and school her. Yeah. But I'm like, we all do this. We all make these seemingly innocuous comments that aren't true. And we buy into these stereotypes and it's hurting us. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, did you see in today's paper that the, well, you may have seen it not just in the paper, but the women's volleyball team got fined. Yes. Oh, you did? Okay. So for About my- their bottoms. Yeah. So for those who don't know, so the women's volleyball team, men's volleyball team is shorts and a tank top, right? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. women's uniform is a bikini and they bikini de- bottom. a bikini bottom and they decided to wear Running shorts, which are mm-hmm. equally revealing, by the way. And probably less sand in places you don't want it. That's right. And they got fined like $100 or $150 each for breaking the uniform code because... Because cause it wasn't sexy enough. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, you're supposed to show your inner thighs. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like they in prob- your they butt probably cheeks. argue that it sells more tickets. And I think that's incredibly awful. That's not true. Yeah. 
Yeah. I get sweaty over this topic, Miriam. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am too. I thought it was just getting hot in here. I was like, why did I put on the air conditioner? So let's let's go back to some of the the things that I think are really going to help our listeners right now. Because one thing you talk about is we're all like reemerging from the pandemic from uh-huh. 2020, which is has still I call this 2020, even this 2021. <laughs> like it's still the same like it. year. And there's a lot of different levels of anxiety about re-entering the world. Uh-huh. And this is about, again, showing up, taking up space, making some noise, and taking risks. What yeah. do you have to say for everyone who's feeling that anxiety? I want to just acknowledge that it's a very real thing. You know, I have, I have a couple of clients right now that are being extra hard on themselves, and I have to keep reminding them like where we're at. This isn't usual times. We have all had this collective trauma and it might vary depending on you know, how much support that you get, depending on how much you were affected. If you lost someone, there's many, many variables. But I think that everyone is feeling that not just from COVID, you know, what is happening globally with our climate, what is happening with social justice movements, especially around race. I say all that in hopes that people will be gentle with themselves, you don't have to move mountains right now. You don't. My dear friend and I have this saying where she calls it the bare mins. Like, what is the bare mins I can do today just to like get through? And I know there's a lot of jokes on the internet about it, but it's very true. Like, what is the bare minimum that you can do? I know that therapists have seen a huge uptick over the last 18 months of of people coming to therapy for the first time or coming back. I am in the recovery circles a lot. I've been sober for almost 10 years. And we unfortunately saw a lot of relapses. It's been tough. Again, I say all this for people to be gentle on themselves. This also reminds me of what I tell both my clients who they want to do something like they want to launch a new art class or Mm -hmm. whatever the thing is. So it always goes back to the lesson I taught my kids when they were in middle school. So the same age as your son. I don't know if your son's had this experience yet. In middle school, they all have to take, I don't think they even call it home ec now, but that's what it is. And they all have a sewing project. Mm -hmm. So when my daughter went through that class, for some reason, she chose to make the pillow that looked like a lava lamp. Okay. I was like, Talia, why didn't you just pick the smiley face? A square. Right. The smiley (laughs) face is the easiest project. You know, and she had to bring it home and the sewing and she almost got a D and blah, blah, blah. So by the time my son went through, he knew to pick the smiley face. Yeah. But the bigger lesson is always pick the easy project Mm -hmm. because you never get extra credit in life for doing it the hard way. Right. That's a very great life lesson. I mean, you could write a whole chapter in your book about that. (laughs) (laughs) What I want to tell people in terms of taking up space and making noise is, and this is something I tell people all the time, give yourself the dignity of your own process, whether that is your own personal development, whether that is the aging process, which is a huge conversation for women my age and my friends and colleagues that are midlife, whether that is you know going through your own you know, anti-racism work, if that's something that you're doing, like give yourself and other people the dignity of of your own process. Last year was not the year that like I went backwards in terms of my earning, my revenue. And I felt so bad for a minute about it. And I was beating myself up. And every year I've had an increase. And this year I'm going backwards. And one of my mentors told me, success looks different and it's not always financial. 
like I went back to trauma therapy. You and I were chatting before and and that is no small feat. It is no small feat. It takes up a lot of space in your body, in your mind, just energetically. So for me, 2020 was about taking up space, taking care of my mental health. That was what was successful for me. And that was hard to unpack, honestly, as someone who, you know, we like metrics. We like you know, how much do I weigh? How much money did I make? You know, (laughs) we like to be able to measure things. So I had to put my measuring stick away and measure my success and taking up space with taking care of my mental health. That's beautiful. I'm really glad you shared that. So one thing that I want to say before we wrap up, I don't think you actually know this. So my book deal and my agent may not have happened, or at least it wouldn't have happened in the way it did if it wasn't for you. So Andrea and I are in the same Facebook group and Andrea yeah. is very generous in there. And our mutual friend, Rachel Luna, is okay. writing a book mm-hmm. and she had been struggling to write for a long time. And she posted in there and was asking questions. And Andrea and Amy Ehlers were so generous with their advice. Within a very short amount of time, Rachel got an agent and a publishing deal. So yeah. it's like, Holy cow. That was because of me, by the way. Like, I'm patting myself on the back. No, no, 100%. 100%. So I I looked up who your agent was. I looked up who Rachel's agent was. And I put Michelle's name on the top of my list. Uh Uh-huh. And that's my agent now. Is she your agent? Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. She is. I love that. She was my number one choice. I got a lot of no's, but I got her yes pretty quickly. And it's not because I'm so amazing. It's because I aligned with her perfectly. You know, it was like yeah. that that was the reason. Mm. Like I could have asked 20 more people and gotten 20 no's. It's just because she was the right person for me. And and I have a, a book deal now thanks to her. So and thanks oh, congratulations. To you. So yeah, very exciting. So that's that why I said exciting. to you, yeah, writing is so hard. What it is hard. Heck? One of the reasons I find it hard, I'm sure some people will agree with me when it comes to their art, whether they're writers or they do some other kind of art. I love writing just for me. You know, like when my dad died, I was, I got back into poetry and was writing and it was so therapeutic and like hardly anybody saw some of those poems. Like maybe my husband or my best friend saw some. And then when I write a book proposal, that's hard. It's hard. No matter what, writing a book proposal is hard. And then when you sign on a contract saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do for this publisher. Or if somebody decides to, I don't know, put their art in a exhibit or something like that, like it becomes more of a job. And I personally, this is just my personal experience and opinion. I find it a little bit less fun in that way. And it becomes harder, A, because I have a deadline and B, because I have to write for other people. I'm writing for my audience and I'm writing to impress a publisher that's paying me a lot of money. So I just wanted to to kind of talk about the reality of that. It doesn't mean I don't want to do it. Like I still want to do it. I'm incredibly blessed that I get to do this for a living. Are you kidding me? And at the same time, I miss writing just for no one, just for me. Mm, That's beautiful. I actually, I like writing because of what I learn about myself, but what I'm finding difficult and surprising at this, this part of it with the proposal, which was very hard, I was getting feedback. Yeah. For this part, we had the kickoff meeting, which I thought was going to be, let's discuss the you know, your chapters and is this what we really want in the book? But it was like, no, it was like, this is the timeline. It's due in December. Yeah. (laughs) It's due in December. I was like, wait, I'm just supposed to go off and write and come back. Did you ask? Yeah. I was like, this is what I just do what's in the proposal. They're like, yeah, just do that. I was like, 
Oh, I'm going to It depends on your editor. <laughs> I'm gonna what you need to ask for, for anyone who's interested in this, you need to ask for line editing. And not every editor does that. Yeah. So my daughter, who is not 13, she's 23. So she is actually <laughs> helping me with that because she's she did really well in the grammar portion of her essay. Oh, good. Yeah. No, so she actually is helping me with that. But there's still that piece of me that I'm going to like hand it in and they're going to say, oh, we made a mistake. You, know? like, you owe us all the money back. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what we thought we were getting. So that's that not happening, scary. by the way. I did say, no, you have to look at chapter one at least. Like, Give yeah. me some feedback here. So exactly. Well, and I and I just want to add this to anyone who might resonate with this. I do think it's still important to write for yourself. I have a friend who's a, a screenwriter, and she said that writing for yourself or making art just for yourself that no one else is going to see many times is an artist's form of self care. It just ha- needs to be part of what you do and like kind of part of your just taking care of of your. The chakra that what is it? It's our solar plexus, right? The where our yeah, creativity I, lives. I don't know a lot about that. Not that I, <laughs> I just woo-woo. don't. Right? It's not that I don't believe it. I just haven't taken the time to learn. But I know that as a creative, like if I'm not creating, that doesn't always have to be painting. Could be writing. Could be podcasting. Could be creating an online course. When I'm not creating, I get very cranky. Like I, same. I need to be creating. I'm exactly the same way. I think probably all your listeners are the same way too. Oh, 100%. Okay, this is mm-hmm. a beautiful place to wrap up. Get the book, make some noise, speak your mind, own your strength. It is out in bookstores. We've linked it in the show notes, stillmanart.com forward slash 160. But I do know that if you go to Andrea's website, there are some bonuses for you. So andreaowen.com forward slash noise. Tell me about one of the bonuses that they can get. My favorite one is because I ask over 250 questions to the reader in this book. I always am pushing people and telling them, hey, if you want to do the work, like answer the questions in the book. Do if there's a workbook, then do it. So we made a workbook that's free. It's 60 something pages. It's beautiful. All of the questions that I ask in the book are there, very organized for people that really enjoy going through and doing the work. So they can download that for free. Also, if you want me to sign your book, but you can't come to an event, I have these really cool stickers that are book plates that I will snail mail you. I will personalize it, sign it so you can stick it in your book or on your bathroom mirror, wherever you want. Oh, that's awesome. I'll have to get a second (laughs) copy just for that bonus. Yeah, I'll send it to you. All right. So we've included links to all those places in the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 160. Don't forget, if you like this episode, you have to check out the Mastermind. It's my private coaching program. If you want to take your art business to the next level, that's the way to do it. The self-study track is closed and the mastermind track is by application only to see if you qualify. Go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's biz as in B-I-Z. Alrighty, Andrea, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? Yes. I'm going to leave them with one question. It's one of my favorite questions and it's, To ask yourself, you know, when you find yourself afraid to ask for the sale, when you find yourself afraid to make the big art, ask yourself, what is my conditioning versus what is my truth? If I had to guess, your conditioning is that it's too risky to put it out there, that it's safer to make the small art with the small price tag, that it's safer to just not do it at all or not ask for the sale. And your truth is, is that you have something amazing to offer. The truth is, is that All you're doing is trying to make the bigger art, see what happens, 
You're not going to die by making bigger art or putting a bigger price tag on it. You might be sad if no one buys it. Like, I'm not promising it's going to work out, (laughs) but it might. Yeah, just answer that question. What is your conditioning versus what is your truth? That's beautiful. All right, let's wrap up there. All right, my friend, thank you so much for being with me here today. I'll see you same time, same place. Stay inspired. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com.